talked about the heart of God. And really, as we read through the One Year Bible, and I don't know if you're doing that right now, but I would suggest that you, you get one, you get online on version, or you can also buy one uh, back here in the hub or even at the bookstore or wherever. But uh, get acclimated to that because next year we're going to teach uh, all year long straight through the whole Bible used in One Year Bible format. So uh, it'd be good to do that. But in the reading this week, we were in the book of Colossians. And it's, it's, so, it's so amazing, the Word of God is so wonderful and timely, that in the first chapter of Colossians, it actually speaks about having knowledge of God, and then it speaks about, uh, about the power of God, which you'll learn about next week, and then it also speaks about the presence of God, all right in that first chapter of Colossians. So when I read that uh, during the week, and we're getting ready to preach it on the weekend, I sort of get encouraged and say, Lord, thank you just for that one little indication that you're going to be with us in this thing. So the, the presence of God, you know, it's a deep, deep subject. It's a very, very integral s- subject. And for some people, really and truly, when you, when you talk about the presence of God, it strikes fear in their life. I mean, it, it even will, will, will cause them to, uh, uh, you know, kind of go weird on you. For others, it's a great delight. For some people, it's just a, a, an indication of what they've experienced. Uh, and for others, it's like, you know, it's Greek to me. I don't have a concept at all of the presence of God. And so my goal today is to help you to understand that. Now, let's start off with what is the presence of God, because in our circles, sometime in the, in the church world, the way certain people act or certain groups act, that is what's uh, branded as, as the presence of God or, or God himself or the Holy Spirit. And so we've got all kind of concepts going around. But what is the presence of God? And when we go to scripture, we find out that the word present in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same word. It means the face of God. The presence of God is the face of God. You could say that if I come to talk to you, uh, my presence, you would come in my presence, I would come into your presence, and we would be what? Face to face. And so that's what it means, face to face. Now, we know that God is everywhere at the same time. Am I right? I mean, he's all of He's in every crevice of the universe. Uh, we even have a word for that that we use called omnipresence. Uh, he's everywhere at the same time. That's really cool. God is everywhere at the same time all the time. The devil is not everywhere at the same time all the time. He can only be in one place at one time, but our God is omnipresent. And I love Psalm chapter 33, verse 13. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees the whole human race. Wow, isn't that cool? I mean, he looks down, he says, I see everybody. You know what's amazing? He sees the past human race. He sees the present human race and even sees the future human race. He sees everything all at the same time. By the way, he's all powerful, omnipotent. He's all present. Come on. And he's all knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything about everybody and he looks. And in Psalm 139, verse one through four, it kind of starts to just nail that thing down for us. It says, uh, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, come on now. And when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. And some people say, wow, you know, uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, is that true? I mean, does God, re- has he, did he last night? Did, was he? He was there watching 
And that's what makes him God because he can see all what's going on and still survive. Because if you knew all what was going on, you couldn't handle it. Then it continues in the seventh verse. It says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the Father's oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness as light are the same to you. Now, for some people, that's real comforting. For some of you in this room, it's like, thank you, Lord. You know me. You're with me. I can't hide. Man, your eye is always on me, and that just really comforts me. To others of you, you're like, you ever see when somebody gets arrested, they put a towel over their head? It's like their names. Everybody knows. You might as well just take the towel off and say, here I am. I really messed up. God sees everything. He's everywhere at the same time. It's, it's just wonderful to know this. But then let me talk to you about the presence of God in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is the time in human history prior to the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament is, is before Jesus came to this earth. And, and in the Old Testament, we see God's presence. It's still the face of God, you see. He, he he, as a matter of fact, today in your one-year Bible, if you read it, you know the psalmist said, Lord, just shine your face on us. Would you do that? Would you make your face to shine down on us? In other words, your presence to shine down on us. When it comes to Moses, Mount Sinai, up, up in those areas, Moses met God at a burning bush and he heard God's voice. I mean, that's miraculous. That's supernatural that a burning bush would talk to you. And, and he did to Moses. And then later on, Moses, he, he got to such a place where he said, God, would you show me your glory? Would you do that? And God said, uh, well, I'll tell you what I'll do with you, Moses. I can get close to that, but I can't really deliver all of that. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to come by you. And when I come by you, I'm going to put you in a, in a space in the rock, a cleft in the rock. I'm put you in this little hiding place here. And I'm going to put my hand over that, that hole in the rock that you're in. And, and I'm going to pass by. And as I pass by, I'm going to take my hand off. And then you can peek out and you can see my back. And so he did that and Moses peeked out. And when Moses peeked out, he saw the glory of God. The back of God calls Moses' face to shine to such a degree they had to put a veil over his face because of the glory. You know, in the, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they met with God every day face to face. They walked with God. It was just natural as could be, just there's God, here we are. But then they sinned, and when they sinned, they lost the glory of God. They were clothed in God's glory. They didn't wear clothes. They were naked in the natural, but they were so clothed in the glory of God. But when they sinned, the glory departed. The presence of God departed. When it did, they saw that they were naked, and they were ashamed, and they tried to clothe themselves with other things. Remember this, nothing takes the place of the presence of God. There is no substitute for it. And so Adam and Eve did that, but, but then there was a separation. We see more in the, in the Old Testament when God would come in like smoke and fire and lightning on the mountain and the, the, the earth would quake and shake. Even when God uh, 
passed the children of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know he passed through the Red Sea with them. And, and then he led them by daytime in the desert with a pillar of cloud, his presence in the daytime. At nighttime, it was a pillar of fire to keep them warm. It's, I'm telling you, the presence of God was there with them. And then in, in the tabernacle, the tabernacle was a portable church, so to speak. It was a little building that God gave instruction how to build. And in the inside of that, there were two rooms. There was the holy place. And that's where the priest would offer up incense. And there was bread there and other things and the light of the candlestick. And, but, but then there was a veil. And behind the veil was a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God dwells. He, he said, that's where I'm going to dwell. And so only one time a year could the high priest go into that holy place, the holiest of holies. And he would offer sacrifices. Only one time a year, one person, one priest could go in there. Even, even when Jesus came on the scene, there was the temple. They had been moved out of the portable building. They were now in a fixed structure. Same thing, two rooms, a big veil separating the people from the presence of God. And only one man a year after he had offered sacrifices for himself could go into that place, into the presence of God. The presence of God was powerful. One day they were moving this little box, the Ark of the Covenant, and you know, they were moving it, they had it on a cart, and they're moving it, and the cart, you know, it kind of jiggled around, and one guy thought, oh man, it's gonna fall off, so you know, he was just a good usher, he jumped out there, and he, he steadied it, and when he touched it, he died in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is powerful. It's right there. Then there's the, the, the presence, you know, and, and really in the Old Testament, let me just finish this up, in the Old Testament, Really, truly, this is, is, a, is a picture of God the Father, the love of God on people, just the presence of God. But then when we move closer to the end of the Old Testament, in between the two Testaments, basically, like, like right there is the coming of Jesus, God the Son. He came in the Gospels. He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He really was the face of God. The life of God, the life of God is found in the life of Christ, which is the face of God, the presence of God. Emmanuel was one of his names, which means God is with us. And so now all of a sudden, God is with us. I mean, in human form, he's here and he's with us. The life of God, the face of God. In John chapter 14, verse nine, he was talking to his disciples and one of them said, you know what, Jesus, will you show us the Father? And Jesus replied and said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? God the Son revealing God the Father. The Old Testament, now we're in the Gospels. Now Jesus is the face of God. And the presence of God on Jesus, everywhere he went, he affected people. He affected his environment in a tremendous way. I mean, look, here, here he is. Peter is there on the shore. They're washing their nets. They fish all night long. All these guys, they're washing their nets. Jesus comes up on scene. He's talking. He's, he's leading people. He gets in the way. He said, hey, Peter. Hey, dude. Hey, look, I want to ask you something. Well, let's just go out a little bit further. So they went out a little further. He said, let's go out a little bit further. Went out a little bit further. He said, hey, Peter, throw your net over the side. And Peter, he's a fisherman. 
He said, Jesus, I, you're a cool dude, but man, look, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, and we ain't caught nothing all night. And you know, you know this is tough, man. We are war slap out. But just because you said it, you said it, Jesus, so I'm going to do it. I mean, you know, I'm going to do it. So they threw the net over the, the, the bow of the ship, and, and all of a sudden, the nets were filled with fish, so much that they had to call some of their friends over with another boat. And there, you can imagine these guys looking at the fish. I mean, we got a great catch. Man, is mama going to be happy at the house when I get home with this check? I'm going to bring home the bacon. You know, I'm the fish. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I mean, man, I can't just wait. I'm going to get her a new dress, dude. We're going out tonight. Going to eat us, eat us some flatbread, you know. We gonna, it's going to be great, you know. And so they, they, but in the middle of all of that, Peter, with all the fish and all the racket, you can imagine all the boats are together, the guys are cheering, it's wonderful. But in the midst of all that, Peter begins to get something. And this is what he said. When he realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. The presence of God, the face of God is there. Yes, it's a miracle, but in all of that, Peter peeks over the edge of all the excitement and he sees there's a deeper thing going on here than just fish. And his response, like many people's response when they come into the presence of God is that I'm a sinner. And guess what? He was. He was absolutely a sinner. Another instance is this little guy named Zacchaeus. This little bit short dude. He was this is a, probably a little crude little businessman. Had a lot of money, you know, and he just kind of a little trickery dude. You know what I'm talking about. He he was excited to see Jesus because there was so much excitement about Jesus that he he couldn't see. He was so short, so he climbed up in a tree. And he sees Jesus, and he's just watching. You can imagine little old self there wondering what. And Jesus looks up and he says, "Hey, Zacchaeus, uh, you got to come down out of that tree because I'm I'm gonna come eat supper at your house tonight." I can imagine Zacchaeus got on his cell phone and said, hey, baby, look, you know, you know that guy is stirring everything up. He's coming to the house tonight. And she said, I can't believe you invited him to the house. I can't believe I, the house is not cleaning. Baby, I didn't invite him. He invited himself. And, and I ain't turning him down. I don't know about you. Look, he's been raising people from the dead and casting demons out. And so he's coming, baby. And so Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. And something in the midst of all that happened. In Luke chapter 19, this is what Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to Jesus, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore full fall, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, something has changed in this house. Because everywhere Jesus went, he stirred up something. Sometimes it was negative. Most times it was positive. The third group of people that Jesus affected, we find at the cross on the hill of Calvary. Jesus is nailed to a cross. He is suffering. He is bleeding. And he's saying a lot of things on the cross. He said seven different things and things like, Father, why have you forsaken me? And forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He forgave a, 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 one of the criminals and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So there's a lot going on in the cross. A lot of things, plus the physical pain. And finally, Jesus, he dies. 
And he shouts out right before he dies, it, it is finished. And the, the, the response to that, the, the, the Roman officers and, and, and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake because the earth began to quake. And all that had happened, and this is what they said. They said, this man truly was the son of God. Even hanging on a cross, bludgeoned to death, nailed to a cross, the face of God still present there. They coming into that presence realizing this is the son of God. You know what else happened right at that time? The earth is quaking. I mean, this is happening. It's darkness all in the temple. Remember we talked about the veil that separated the people from the presence of God right at that moment in the temple, in the city, that veil just was torn right into from top to bottom. What does that mean? What does all this veiling mean? Why was Moses' face veiled? Why, why was there a veil in the, in the tabernacle in the wilderness? And now in the temple, there's this veil separating people from God. It was because we are separated from God by our sin. And so Jesus died for our sins. And when the price was paid, the blood was shed, the veil opened up. And what God was saying was now, the way is open to every individual, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. You see... In those days, they had to have one priest go and, 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 and for them. And even today in many areas, there's one holy man that goes to God for people. But I want to tell you this, that Jesus, when he died, he tore the veil in two. And now the presence of God is for every individual, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how educated you are, no matter what kind of money you have or don't have, no matter what has been happening to you, no matter what you've done to others, the way is now open for you to come into the very presence of God face to face. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. It's like the Garden of Eden <laughs> coming on back, Jack. It's so good, the presence of God. And the thing about the presence of Jesus, everywhere he went, he, he crossed racial lines, ethnic lines, economic lines, religious lines, national boundaries. And guess what? We, his church, are to do the same. We are to do the same. Now listen to this, folks. Listen, please listen. Our world is full of racism. And I will tell you this right now. It ain't never gonna go away. So quit thinking it's gonna go away on the national scene. The president, whoever he or she will be, and we will know in a little while, won't be long. They'll drag them into office because they sure shredding each other half to death as we go. They're not the answer. They're not going to bring comfort to my soul. They do not have the answer to the problems. They will not stop racism. But Jesus Christ and his presence inside of individuals, and that's where we're getting ready to go, will change everything, absolutely everything. All right, watch this. Watch this. So let's look at the presence of God in the New Testament. We've got God the Father in the Old Testament. We've got Jesus the Son in the Gospels. And now let's look at the New Testament which in our Bible, the New Testament is like from the book of Acts through the book of Revelation, 
where we really live right now is in the, from the book of Romans to the book of Jude. If you find in your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. That's where we live. If you want to know, if you say, Pastor, where do I need to read the Bible? I don't know. Read the epistles because that's where we live. And so here is the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, we all, all of us with unveiled, there's that veil again, unveiled face. What are we doing? We're beholding the glory of the Lord. And because of that, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We're being, we're being transformed by the, by the power of the Lord. You see, the coming of the Lord, the coming of, of the Holy Spirit, all of this coming to fruition. Jesus modeled the life of the person who is filled and led by the Spirit. He modeled it, and then he went away and he sent the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. He told Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he says, hey, y'all, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is exactly like me. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. It's, they're all God. All one and the same, but yet different expressions. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit to the earth is a significant factor that we all need to understand. It's recorded in the book of Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. And it simply says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were, were meeting together in one place. There was 120 of them, the Bible says, meeting together in one place. Then suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames well, it looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everybody had a flame. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice what's happening here? We've got God of the Old Testament. By the way, they're all, all the same. There's no difference, but we're just showing you different expressions. God, the... the the father in the Old Testament telling Moses, don't let the people come up on this mountain. If they come up on this mountain, they're going to die. Uh, get in the cleft of the rock. Get over there. Don't look at me. If you see me, you'll not live. God of the Old Testament, everywhere at the same time, all at the same time. But then we see Jesus, God the Son, Emmanuel, God is with us, modeling the spirit-filled life. And third, shoot the Holy Spirit filling the believer's life. You see what God is doing? God always works in progressions, always works in dispensations, different time periods. And here he is filling every. What if I told you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? What if I told you that they've already packed up the portable church in the wilderness, the tabernacle? What if I told you that the temple is no longer in existence, but yet the believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Man, wrap, wrap yourself around that, huh? Wrap yourself around it. And, and that's why Paul, Paul teaching the Corinthian church, a church in Corinth, around Greece there, he, he's teaching them, and this is what he has to tell the church. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Don't you realize, can, can I just say, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I, I guess that would be a, a, a good statement to make in this room right now. Don't you realize that your body is the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. He had to kind of just grab the church and say, hey, hey, listen up, listen up. Don't you realize that God is living inside of you? That he's living now in a temple that's not made with hands, but formed in the womb. Psalm 139 says, you knew me when I was in my mother's womb. That that temple is being formed and now we're filled. Who lives in you and was given to you by God. Wow. Think about that. Now the spirit of God lives inside of the believer. That's so powerful to me. He's living. You know, in the Old Testament, God lived in a building. In the New Testament, God lives in a believer. Totally different ballgame here. It's like, it's like, God, you're getting serious now. Now you're bringing this thing over into a supernatural realm for God to be living on the inside of me. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, all right, you remember this, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Do you see? I love the Lord. He doesn't leave any stone unturned, and he doesn't leave any question unanswered. Here it is. If you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you are of him. If you do not have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you don't belong to Christ. And by the way, every person sitting in this room instantly knows whether or not the Holy Spirit is living in you. Very important. I talk to a lot of people. And over the years, I've talked to just hundreds of people. And I'll ask the question, like to a man, I'll say, hey, hey, bro, tell me. Tell me, are you saved? Tell me, have you been born again of God's spirit? Tell me, are you a believer? And in and, and so many instances, you know what I get? I'm being transparent with you. I get a blank stare, usually about one foot to the left of me, just out there, just, they can't answer it. I asked him what color hair they have, brown. I asked him what kind of car they drive, Ford. I asked him, uh, did they go to college? No. I asked him, oh, where do you work? I work down there. You know, they know the answer to all that. But when you say, do you know God? It's like, you know what that tells me? They probably don't know God. As a matter of fact, I asked them, I said, this tells me that you probably don't know God. And they said, you're probably right, pastor. I probably don't know God. But I will tell you this. I know that he lives in me. That I know because his presence is at work. You see, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit is at work in individuals. He's not just coming, kind of just taking a hike and just kind of sitting around and having a picnic. He's at work. He works in there's three things that, that really get accomplished in our life or that we know about when the Holy Spirit works with us. The first is there's a guarantee. Now, you know what a guarantee is. Hey, you know, when you put down money on a house, you're guaranteed you're going to get that house. I mean, you, they hold it for you. That real estate says, I've got it. It's yours. And you got to pass through certain things. But hey, nobody, I'm not showing it to anybody else. Nobody else can buy it. We're on the contract. There's a guarantee here. Watch what the scripture says in Ephesians 1.13. Now you Gentiles, now that's all the people who are not Jewish are Gentiles. That means most everybody in this room, you're a Gentile. Have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. 
And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So there's this guarantee, man. That's what brings the peace. Look, if I wasn't guaranteed eternal life, how could I have peace in living? Surely, how could I have peace in dying unless I had a guarantee from the only one who is able to guarantee eternal life? That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. In some places, it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed, man. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Come on now, isn't that right? I mean, that's the way it is. I'm signed, I'm sealed, and I'm, de- I'm gonna be delivered, amen. That's, just had a little cruising the coast flashback there. I think I saw a 67 Corvette, just like, was it? Yes, it was a vision from the Lord. There's a guarantee. Number two, there's this thing called transformation or being transformed. In Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Here's the apostle, man, and I understand what he's saying. He's at a point, he said, I'm pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Can I just stop right in and tell you, you got to work with God. Folks, let me tell you something. I know if you're thinking it's magic and it's just like because you come to church or maybe I, I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I guess I will, sort of, kind of, I don't know, you know, and then all of a sudden God's going to come down and start plowing in your life and working and doing all that. No, 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 no. The apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I will not frustrate the grace of God. He even said it at one place, he said, I work more than everybody else, but it's not me that's working, it's the grace of God working in me. So God is just teaching this in tandem with God. So if you wanna be transformed, you have to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice, and in that, he's gonna transform your life into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Pastor Jordan taught you about the the will of God this first Wednesday. You do this. There's a transformation when the presence of the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life. There's transformation. There must be transformation. It's proof that the presence of God is there. It's the glory of God. And for people who live for God, like, I mean, I live 40 years for God, I can't overcome nothing, I'm so weak, and so so, so. then I've got to just say, God's doing his part. What about you? It's, it's important. It's like, God's not going to do it all. And he's not your servant. You're his servant. And the Holy Spirit is working in you, man, to do exceedingly abundantly whatever you're able to think or ask. But I'll tell you what, we want to walk with God. So there's this guarantee and then there's this transformation. It's proof of the presence of, of God, the Holy Spirit. And the third thing about the presence of God working in a person's life is there's fruit. There's this wonderful fruit in our life. Now, that may sound kind of fruity to some of you, like fruit, what's that? Is that an orange, an apple? You know, it's not nothing to do with that. Fruit, we're taught in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, that, that the fruit, the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And then he lists them, love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, come on, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And so you look at this and you say, well, well, am I progressing? Well, let me ask you this. Is, is your fruit growing bigger in love? Are you more patient than you were five years ago? Is God transforming you? Has your anger been put away? I mean, are you overcoming? Now, if you've just been living for God for a year, guess what? He's chopping cotton in your life. I mean, he's, he's, just, he's just chopping and he's clearing land. You know what I'm talking about? But once you, you come up, you realize that God is real, God is good, and he's changed my life. What is fruit increasing in your life? Are you more faithful than you were five years ago? You look at the progression of the work of the Holy Spirit in life, and to the degree that you are progressing is to the degree that you are yielding yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this to you. Don't, don't play the ignorant card anymore. Don't play the, the old, I don't understand. Don't play, I can't, I don't know the word of God. I can't. Those cards, look, they, they don't work with God. Every person who comes to God will be able to understand their God. He's a personable God. He comes to live in us in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's good. So what are we to do with this? We've seen the God of the Old Testament, who is the same as the God of the Gospels, who is the same as the God of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has come down. He indwells in the believer's life. He's transforming us, guaranteed transforming. There's this fruit going on. So should we seek the presence of God? Here's the question. Is there such a thing as seeking the presence of God? I will, I will clarify something before I go here, and that is one night years ago, some of you were here. We were showing a, a video series every Sunday night and then doing small groups on, on a, a series by uh, Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke is an evangelist who uh, uh, has uh, preached crusades in Africa for many years uh, and uh, seen millions of people give their hearts to Jesus. Just a tremendous miracles, healings, just amazing things. And, and in this, this particular segment, he, he made this statement. And he's a German brother, so he said, he said, you keep asking for the Spirit of God to come down. You want him to come down when he lives in you. And when he said that, I was sitting right over there and it, I, I, it just like arrested me. Every now and then you get a real missile from the Lord. Like, so why am I saying, Lord, would you come? Would you come when he has already come and he lives inside of me? So yes, we need to seek the Lord. He's not lost, by the way, and neither are you if you're following Jesus. But let's, let's clarify. There is a seeking of the Lord. And here's just four quick things. You ready? Number one, you want to be more aware of his presence. In other words, you need to be conscious that the Holy Spirit lives in you and he's right there with you. You say, well, surely I know that. Well, no, not everybody is aware of his presence. You have to be aware. You have to be conscious. In other words, you have to, you have to think on those things. You have to meditate. That, and that's the second thing that we need to do. We need to meditate in his presence. Now, we are a bunch of busy people, and we're busy a lot of times because we make our lives busy. We just do. We, 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 we want to live a certain lifestyle, so we've got to make our lives busy. We want our kids to have everything in the world, so we make our lives busy. You know? We spend a lot of our times on things that don't count in eternity, and, and the things that count in eternity suffer right now. 
And, and maturity, you know, maturity, you, can tell, you know when you're mature? When you take the things of the world and you put them behind the things of God. That's when you know you're maturing, okay? And, and so we have to meditate. And meditate, you know, takes time. Sometimes we have to be quiet. When's the last time you really got quiet? Just by yourself meditating on the things of God. It's so helpful. Now, sometimes you meditate in a quiet spot, you know, in a little room, in a closet, maybe on your knees by a bed, or and you meditate. But you know what? I just want to present to you that you can meditate on the Lord continually throughout the day. I was washing my, my windshield of my car yesterday, the inside of the windshield. It's a devil. There's no way you can clean it. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you try. I mean, it doesn't matter if somebody's got the answer. Just come to my house and clean the windshield. I don't even want to know. You know, I'll give you $10 just to clean the inside of that window. And I was, I was wore out. I was like, oh, man, you know, I try to cast the devil out of that thing, but it wouldn't work. <laughs> but really, while I was doing that, the whole time, there was a song inside of me. Just, just over and over again, just a song. And, and guess what? It was there. And it, but then all of a sudden, I acknowledged that it was there. I was aware. I've got a song up on the inside of me just over and over again. And then I found out it was just edifying me. And then it got me thinking deeper on the things of God. And then next thing you know, I could care less about the window. You know, I mean, it was like all of a sudden, and I wasn't caught up like, like, you know, a bird flying over the, you know, and I was just, it was just him in me strumming this song in my heart. Isn't that what the scripture says? That we're to make melody in our heart before the Lord? And so there's this meditation going on. But third thing is we have to acknowledge his presence. Folks, now we've got to start acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible says that if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he'll direct our path. So what's our problem with the direction of our life? Could it be that we're not acknowledging him in all of our ways? Or could it be we acknowledge him after our decisions instead of before our decisions? Lord, I need a spouse. I want you to direct me as I venture out to find a wife. I'm just acknowledging you right now, Lord, I need this. I'm acknowledging you, Lord, I'm looking for a new job. I'm acknowledging you in this. Lord, I'm asking you to guide me. Come on, in all of my ways, God, I'm acknowledging you, and I believe that you're going to direct my path. So here I go, Lord, I'm going to start walking. I'm going to look for this job. Here I go, Lord, you're with me. Yes, you are, you're in me. Yes, your presence is going before me. Yes, Lord. This is how you acknowledge God, not after the fact, you know, what? when we acknowledge the Lord, I'm being quite honest, I've pastored for over 30 years. This is what we do. We, we, we make a decision, we mess up, and then we go to the Lord. And we ask him to fix it. And Lord, by the way, if at all possible, not really putting pressure on you, but will you fix it like right now? <laughs> right now, Lord, would you do that? We acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then the fourth thing is that we want to make sure that we develop the mind of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. But I have discovered that you have to develop the mind of Christ. Your, your mind left to itself will be selfish, full of selfish ambition, be judgmental, be very, very critical, be very prideful, your mind left to itself. You'll look at your accomplishments and say, oh, how great I am. Oh, you'll look at your possession and say, boy, didn't we do it right? And all that, not knowing that it is the Lord that holds the rug that you stand on. You develop the mind of Christ, the best way I know how, folks, is to wash your mind with the word of God. Listen to me. I want you to start thinking about this, praying about this, and getting ready for next year, and let the word of God transform the way you think, 
to where you think like God to where all of a sudden you enter a great adventure because you have the mind of Christ. Now, let me just finish with one verse of scripture for you because really these four things here, if you, if you put them all together, we could say they're simply communication, communing, communion with God. That's what that is. I just told you that's what meditation, acknowledgement, these things, the mind of Christ, they all have to do with communing with God. So Paul, at the end of his second letter to the Corinthians, the last letter he wrote to them, the last few sentences that he would impart to them, he said this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the son, and the love of God, there's the father, and the communing or the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Trinity. Amen. Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Come on, close your eyes just for a moment. Would you do that? Come on, look, look, look. Bridle your mind right now. Don't worry about where you're going after, what's going on. Don't, just For just a moment, get in a capsule with the Lord. You who are followers of Christ, you have decided, said, I'm gonna follow you. I want you to just examine your life. This is a time of examination where you just decide, come on, come on, just really, this time, let's do this thing. Are you aware of his presence in your life? Have you been meditating with the Lord? Come on now. Have you, have you the mind of Christ? Are you acknowledging him in everything that you do? This is lordship. And if not, would you go ahead and just talk to the Lord for a minute? Come on, just, just take a moment to say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to ask you just forgive me for that. I haven't really acknowledged you. I'm kind of doing my own thing. And by the way, Lord, it's not going too well. I just ask you to forgive me. I'm going to get back in track with you. And you, you, you guys, you followers of Christ who are doing that right now, you believers. Now I want to talk to those of you in this room who... You, you, you came into the church this morning, the house, you know, and you said to me, man, this, this is nice. But all of a sudden we start talking about the presence of God and you realize that, wow, I don't even know anything about that. I, I, I don't think I have the presence of the Holy Spirit resident in my life. You know what? Jesus wants to change that right now. He wants you to be a different person. And all of this begins, all of it begins with you committing to follow Jesus. Look, that's what Jesus said to the, to the men and the women. He said, follow me. After the miracle catch that Peter said, I'm a sinner, Jesus didn't talk about the fish. He just used the fish. But then he looked at those guys and he said, look, come on, follow me. And from now on, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm changing the whole course. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm fishing for men and women. If you're in this place right now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you say, Pastor Van, I want a real relationship with Jesus. I really do. I need the infilling of the Spirit of God. I need to know that the Holy Spirit is with me, but I don't. I'm just separated from God like Adam and Eve, but I want into the kingdom. I'm going to follow him. If that's you, I want to pray for you right where you are. And I'm actually just to shoot your hand up and say, Pastor Van, I want in the kingdom of God. Thank you there. Yes, so much. Thank you. Anybody else? Just, just, this is the time for you. This is your time. Thank you, sir. Come on, this is your time. Over here, thank you, yes, sir. Over here, right here, thank you in the back, yes. It's either, it may be now or never for some of you. Now is the time. Anybody else before I start praying? Yeah, just shoot your hand up, put it right back down. Okay, thank you so much. Now I'm just gonna 
utter a simple prayer to the Lord. Remember, he's everywhere. He knows everything. He came in Jesus Christ. Now he's getting ready to come into your life, you who raised your hand. And even if you didn't, just pray along with me. Just acknowledge God right now. Just as I pray, just agree with me and the Holy Spirit's gonna come live in you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for loving me, for changing me today. I thank you, Lord God, for forgiving my sin that has separated me from you, God. And I've just neglected everything I've ever even known about you, even just the information I've not used it, God. I've never let you live inside of me, but today I put down all my defenses. I confess all my sin and I invite you in and I dedicate my life to follow you, Lord Jesus. And everything that you take me through, I wanna go through it with you. I thank you for loving me and saving me today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, I wanna thank the Lord. I wanna thank God for you who prayed. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.